Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Pastor Dan Slagle, and it was recorded on Sunday, March 20th. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at podcast at faithbridge.org. Or if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And as always, you can join us for Faith Bridge Online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Dan. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Bridge. My name is Dan Slagle. I serve as one of the teaching pastors here at Faith Bridge. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today, whether you're here in the live service in the East or if you are coming to us online. We're continuing on in our sermon series on the book of Luke, and today we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, get ready. Those of you that uh, perhaps need a Bible, just raise your hand. Ushers coming down the aisle, they'll be glad to give you one. Luke chapter 22, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for the privilege of gathering in your house to worship and to lift up the name of your Son, Jesus. We pray now as we turn our attention to the written word, your Holy Spirit would come just as you promised to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Since I serve here as one of your teaching pastors, I'm sure you will be quite pleased to know that I have never murdered anyone. In fact, I can honestly say it's never even so much as crossed my mind to do such a thing. However, despite my relatively small stature, there have been those moments when I wanted to inflict great bodily harm upon various individuals. One of those moments took place actually right here at Faithbridge. About uh, a dozen years ago or so, the uh, kids' ministry approached me and asked me if I would lead an eight-week Bible study for fifth-grade boys. (laughs) Now, when it comes to our kids' ministry, in my estimation, they are second to none. I think we've got the finest kids' ministry in the nation. The individuals that serve in there just do an amazing job week after week after week making sure our children are discipled and and growing in their faith. And they had put together uh, a a terrific Bible study, Dare to be a Daniel, it was called, an eight-week look at the life of the prophet Daniel. However, I knew they were scraping the bottom of the barrel when they came to ask me to serve. You know, for some people, uh, leading that kind of Bible study, working with kids is amazing, wonderful. Then there are those of us who prefer to work with the grown-ups. Well, I agreed, uh, mainly because there, there was a definite need there. And uh, I had never done anything like that. And I thought, well, why not? Let's, let's just see how this goes. Maybe it'll prove to be 
life-changing. So we started, and for the most part, it was great. A terrific group of boys. Uh, they came prepared. Uh, they were eager to engage with the material. They were fun. All of them except for one individual in particular. It was like it was his life mission to be as distracting as possible, to get us completely off track, and to be as disrespectful as possible to me. I was bound and determined that this Bible study was going to be meaningful for these boys, that I was going to impart truth to them, that I was going to increase their understanding of the Scriptures, that I was going to equip them to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And he was equally determined that that was not going to happen. Well, at about the four-week mark, I had had a snoot full of his shenanigans, and so I decided it was time for a come-to-Jesus meeting. Me, that boy, and Jesus. All I can say is, wherever that young man is in the world today, he better be glad that Jesus showed up for that meeting. Have you ever had an experience like that where you're, you're working with a group of people and, and you're trying to get something done, you're trying to accomplish something, or you're trying to communicate something, and, you know, one or more of them is just acting like a clown, can't stay focused. You know, perhaps uh, it was a project at work, or maybe you coached a, a sports team, or maybe it was a, a family meeting, happened in any number of, of settings can really, really be exasperating. Well, that's exactly what was happening in the story that we just read. We're told in verse 15 that Jesus was filled with eager anticipation about this particular gathering, about this particular meal. He was really looking forward to it. It was important to him. This was not going to be just your typical Saturday night down by the Sea of Galilee fish fry. This was the Passover in Jerusalem, the highest and holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And Jesus had a very important message that he wanted to impart to his disciples. But just like a bunch of junior high boys, they could not focus, they could not cooperate. It was as though they wanted to talk about anything under the sun except what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. Judas had already gone way off the rails even before the gathering, agreeing to betray Jesus, and his mind was focused on money. You know, even when Jesus gave him an opportunity to come clean by telling the crowd, I, I know what's going on, he chose not to. I imagine he was thinking about what he was going to do with those 30 pieces of silver. And the others, in terms of their behavior, were no better, really. I mean, Jesus has just said to them, literally just said to them, my body is going to be broken. And my blood is going to be spilled for you. 
And they begin squabbling with each other about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt in that moment? Guys, listen to me. I'm trying to tell you. I mean, Jesus knew this was the last time the group would be together. He desperately wanted them to get what he was saying, but they weren't. And by you know, the end of their time together, Jesus is so over it that we read there in verse 38. He says, that's enough. In other words, I, I'm done here. And he headed out the door to the Mount of Olives. Now, it would be tempting for us to look at the disciples, shake our heads in disappointment. And, you know, how could they do that? I mean, this was Jesus they were with for crying out loud. But how many times has Jesus tried to say something to us? And we chose to behave like a squirrely bunch of junior high boys, preoccupied with everything else under the sun except what Jesus was saying. Some of us, like Judas, are preoccupied with money. You know, financial gain, that, that's what this world, that's what this life is all about, and that's what we've got our sights set on. That's where our attention is. Others of us are trying to move up the ladder. We're trying to get position. Perhaps it's a, a relationship that has all of our attention. Maybe it's sin. Whatever the case may be. We've all been guilty from time to time of being enamored of what this world has to offer, what this world has to say but really growing increasingly deaf to what Jesus has to say. And the fact of the matter is, friends, Jesus has spoken to you every single day of your life. We serve a communicating God. Now, granted, you may not have heard an audible voice, but God has any number of means at His disposal to communicate with us. He can speak to us through His Word, if we'll read it. He can speak to us in prayer, if we will pray. He can speak to us through the wisdom of the gathered community, if we will engage. God's not limited by His means of communication. That is not the question. The question is, do we really want to hear what He has to say? Are we willing to slow down enough to pay attention? Because Jesus won't talk to us on the fly. No, the things that he has to say are of the utmost importance, of eternal importance. And completely apart from his message, he is worthy of our fixed attention. So what was it that Jesus was so desperately trying to communicate? Well, what was the message that he wanted to get across, not only to his disciples then, but to us today as well? 
Well, to fully understand what Jesus was trying to say, we've got to step back from the particular story that we just read, and we have to understand it in the context of the whole Bible. How does it fit into the overarching message of the Scriptures? 1,500 years earlier, the ancestors of Jesus and the disciples were in slavery. They had been enslaved for some 400 years to the Egyptians, and it had been dreadful as slavery always is, crying out to God for deliverance. The day came when God raised up his prophet Moses and commissioned him to go and be his instrument in setting his people free from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And Moses went. And God began to wear down the Egyptian people and try to wear down the Pharaoh. There were a series of plagues, if you've ever read in the book of Exodus. You know, flies and gnats and frogs and boils and darkness and turning water to blood and, you know, just all sorts of horrible things going on in the land of Egypt. But with each passing plague, Pharaoh is getting more and more stubborn. He will not budge. Scripture says his heart was hardening. Finally, the day came that the Lord said to Moses, I want you to gather your people together and tell them this. On a certain night, each family is to take a lamb from their flock, not just any lamb, but a lamb that is without, without defect, spotless, as close to pure and perfect as a lamb can possibly be. And that lamb is to be sacrificed that evening. Part of it will be used for the evening meal. But beforehand, you're to take some of the blood from that spotless lamb and you are to smear it, you are to paint it on the exterior doorposts of your home. And there was a reason for that rather odd request from God. That night, God was going to bring judgment upon the land of Egypt. And he told Moses, tonight, every single firstborn, human and animal, in the land of Egypt will die. From Pharaoh right down to the poorest subject, their firstborn will die. But if you will place yourself under the blood of the Lamb. When I come to pass judgment, I will pass over that home. I will see the blood and recognize the sacrifice made on your behalf. And I will pass over and not bring judgment to that home. And that's exactly how it unfolded. And the next day, Pharaoh was broken And said to the Israelites, go, go, you're free, leave. And from that night forward, right down to the present, Jews celebrate the night of Passover. They remember how God came on their behalf and set them free. They remember that it was a sacrifice 
of a spotless lamb that protected them as they placed themselves under the blood. It was Passover night when Jesus gathered together his disciples, and that that was no accident. It was very, very intentional. And he said to them, on this Passover night, I'm going to make with you a new covenant. For 1,500 years, you have lived under the old covenant that your sins were forgiven by the sacrifice of a lamb, but that's going away. Tonight, I'm instituting a new covenant that will set you free. Not from physical slavery, but from spiritual slavery. From your sin. You see, the only way that you and I can be forgiven of our sin is if a sacrifice is made on our behalf. But it can't be just any sacrifice. No, it has to be someone who is willing to stand in our place who is without spiritual defect, who is sinless, who is perfect, and who willingly gives himself on our behalf. And as Jesus broke the bread and shared the wine, he was explaining to his followers, this is what I am about to do for you in less than 24 hours. My body will be broken and my blood will be spilled. And anyone, not just the disciples, but anyone forever for all time who accepts the sacrifice that I am making on their behalf will not only find forgiveness of their sin, they will be set free from the power of sin and the power of death. While physical slavery, horrible as it is, only has consequences in this life, spiritual slavery lasts throughout eternity. When we separate ourselves from God, the source of life, the source of abundant life, and we choose to live a life of sin, which every single one of us have done, we become slaves. The Scripture says the person who who sins is a slave to sin, and there is a penalty that awaits. The wages of sin is death, and we do not have any ability to rescue ourselves from that predicament. But thanks be to God... He sent his son, Jesus, who is often referred to as the Lamb of God, to be for us that Passover lamb. So that anyone who places themselves under the blood of Jesus receives forgiveness of sin and the hope and the promise of eternal life. Now, of course... As Christians, we do not celebrate Passover. As Jesus made clear, that covenant is gone. But we do, as Jesus instructed, gather together with regularity and remember. Jesus was quite specific about that. Remember what has happened this night. Remember what I have done on your behalf. 
Lift it up, celebrate it, be encouraged by it. Let it be a reminder to you of your freedom that is found in me. I would not be surprised if this morning there would be someone here who perhaps is hearing this for the first time. Or perhaps you're hearing it presented this way for the first time. And you've been lugging around this burden of guilt and sin long enough. You've read the self-help books. You've gone to counseling. You've made commitments to yourself over and over. But you keep doing the same things over and over. Today is your opportunity to be set free. To accept what Jesus has done for you and step into the new life that he promises There are others of us, I would say most of us here today, who've already made that particular decision. But because we live in a broken world and because we are weak, sinful creatures, we often place ourselves back under the slavery of sin. We find ourselves doing things that we promised we'd never do, that we were just sure we had grown beyond, and yet there we are, thinking those thoughts, saying those things, doing those things. Friends, this table is for you as well. This table is not only a memory device. This table is a means of grace. It's an opportunity to meet with your Lord once again, be reminded of what He has done for you, and receive the grace that only He can impart to be forgiven and to step forward once more into the life that He promises. Now, in 30 years of ministry, I, I could not count the number of times, literally, that I have extended an invitation to persons either to come and receive Christ or to renew that relationship. But I have to be honest with you. So many times when I have extended that invitation, there was something about it that just seemed Incomplete, I guess, is the best word for it. Something about it that just did not feel finished. I was out for a walk yesterday in the beautiful weather, praying about this message, praying about that sense of incompleteness, and suddenly it dawned on me. Far too often, We come to this table, we partake, we're reminded, and then we walk away and plug our ears up again. Friends, Jesus is interested in far more than just forgiving your sin. Jesus doesn't want to just give you a get out of hell free card. That's not what this is about. This is about a relationship, a daily, ongoing relationship with Him who wants to engage with us more than we can possibly imagine. It's growing in that relationship and learning to hear His voice and becoming the man or the woman that He created us to be. But that doesn't happen when we choose not to listen. And so I want to challenge you this morning as you come to this table. 
as you come and you're reminded that on our behalf, his body was broken. And on our behalf, his blood was spilled. I challenge you to come with a different perspective. That this isn't just something that we do simply because we've been commanded to do it. No, this is something we do because we want to grow and we want to receive all that God has for us, not just for the afterlife, but for this life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its abundance today. But we must seek it. We must seek Him. Here at Faith Bridge, we have what we call an open table. That is to say, anyone who has a relationship with Jesus or would like to have one is welcome to come forward. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And those of you that are at home, uh, this would be a good time for you to get your elements together. I'm going to pray, and then here in the live service, our ushers will guide us down front and east. You come as you are able. There are several stations here, and you're invited to take a gluten-free cracker, dip it in the juice, and then partake. My prayer for you, for me, for all of us, is that the partaking of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus would be an opportunity for us to take one more step to lean in a little closer, to hear a little bit more clearly what Jesus is saying to us and the invitation He has extended to each one of us to become the man or the woman He created us to be. Pray with me, please. Lord, we confess our minds and our hearts are so easily distracted by the things of this world, things that will not last, things that only bring temporary, at best temporary satisfaction. God, our hearts yearn and hunger for more. Thank you for this reminder today that you provide everything we would ever need. As we come to your table, fill us, Lord. Fill us with yourself. Engage with us. And draw us to yourself. Thank you for loving us and thank you for giving your life. We offer our prayer in your strong name. Amen and amen.